Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ecom Sales Tax Podcast, where we uh, keep ecom businesses and their tax advisors up to date on the latest changes in the world of sales tax. Things are changing even every day right now because of the uh, Wayfair decision. And Dan, I know that uh, you were just telling me that Texas has just made an announcement of what they're going to do about the uh, the economic presence. So tell me, share it with everybody. Uh, yes, Andy. Um, Texas has come out uh, in a letter to uh, from the comptroller, Glenn Hagar, to uh, the uh, addressing the, the public and the, the legislature and the, the governor addressing the, the Texas strategy, really. And it looks like Texas's approach is they think that they've got a, a hook in the statute that they can use and they're uh, they're going to have to uh, go the rulemaking route, which means that they're going to have to get some interested groups together. They're going to draft up some language. They'll propose a rule and open a 60-day notice and comment period, at which point they have to refine it, issue the final rule, and and publish it in the register. Now, what they've they they haven't what they've said so far is they think they're going to use the South Dakota numbers. And it will not be retroactive. So it will be on a going forward basis from whatever date they say go on it. Uh, so it looks like it is going to be a little in the future. Um, more interestingly, though, there are a couple of concepts they're looking at. Uh, they, the legislature put in place a couple of provisions during one of the last sessions uh, contingent upon federal law changing the quill precedent. Uh, they they put in provisions for Amazon to collect the tax, and they put in I believe, and they put in a provision for a uh, a composite tax rate because of the the difficulties of destination sourcing, kind of similar to what we've seen in Alabama. And in this letter, Hagar talked about having the legislature come in and, and change those hooks to have it apply uh, to the the effective date for whenever they decide to put this rule forth, and so it could that could give remote sellers. Uh, rather than uh, an easier collection and reporting mechanism, rather than having to go through the the long, long form that we've all become familiar with. Very interesting. So no special session called for right now. No, it looks like they're just going to, they're either going to go the regulatory route or uh, of course the legislature is going to be back in session in January. So they could just do it through their normal process. But uh I think they'll, if they start with the rulemaking, I think they'll actually get it done faster. All right. So you just heard from my co-host, Dan Peisner. Dan is an uh, authority on all things related to sales tax for e-commerce businesses and beyond and uh, works very much in our practice of voluntary disclosures and helping companies figure out what they should do about their tax situ- sales tax situation. And Dan is my co-author of the AICPA course on multi-state income tax. So Dan, that's another area that uh, we're going to need to update that course here pretty soon. Well, certainly. Uh, between between the sales tax goings on and the, the states coping with the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, uh, it's been very active this year, and, and it's going to be a the update's going to is going to be interesting to see. All right, so Dan, I thought that uh, what might be worthwhile, given that we've we've got all these changes going on, is uh, just to talk to e-commerce businesses and 
share a little presentation about what I think or what we think are the potential devastating impacts of all these recent changes and what e-commerce businesses have to deal with. And you know, Dan, um, you know, we deal with businesses large and small and it, it has to be a very large business before they have a dedicated tax department. And so usually the person taxed, tax, tasked with taxes has lots of different hats, right? They got so many things they're trying to do. For the smaller businesses, it's really just one or two people and they have everything to do. And so I always think it's good to put ourselves in the shoes of, of our clients and just appreciate all the um, issues they have to deal with from administrative to strategic type issues. Uh, of course, they, have, they won't be in business if they don't tend to the bottom line, if they don't uh, make budgets and stick to them. Uh, they have to deal with um, administrative duties like payroll and um, financial statements and tax returns and security things that they worry about. Everyone's just had to update their website so that it talks about uh, cookies and security risks, et cetera. Insurance, so many things. Hiring and firing, trying to um, you know get the, the right people on the bus and put them on their proper seats on the bus. So many things going on. And then, uh, you know, in our world, we're, we like to think that taxes is should be people's highest priority. And right now, maybe it should be. But I, I, I put taxes at the bottom of this center list because our goal is to make it so that taxes can be just handled and don't have to, to be a fire drill. Right now, we have this change with the Supreme Court decision that we'll talk about that is upending everything. And really, for a short time, you need to, to focus on your situation for sales taxes. And so what I, what I want to talk about <clears throat> just briefly is how the world of state taxes has radically changed just recently. It was in the process of radical change over the last several years, and now that has really uh, accelerated with the Supreme Court decision. Um, I want to talk about um, what the challenges are of unexpected but preventable state tax errors that could wreck your, your bottom line. I mean, that's what we're trying to prevent. And then present briefly what I think the solution is. So Dan, you weren't alive in the 70s, <clears throat> but let me just talk, take you back to that era. You've seen the clothes from that era. Um, but back in that era, believe it or not, state taxes were just not a big deal, sales taxes in particular, because it was a low tax rate, lower than 4% on average. <clears throat> and uh, you know there was a limited scope of things that were taxable. And nexus in other states, multi-state nexus, was just not a big concern. Hard to believe, right? I mean, now in today's world, nexus is a big concern. But back then, back when I was, I guess, in grade school, state taxes were not a big deal. And fast forward all the way to graduating from college, state taxes were not a big deal. But in the beginning of the 1990s, that time frame, 
none of this is exact, but that's by the, by the 1990s, we had the Quill decision uh, that basically stated that to have Nexus, you had to have at least some physical presence. Uh, more things were taxable now. More services are taxable. Really in the mid-80s, states started taxing services, some states. Tax rates are high, you know, right around 7 8% on average. And so that is when <clears throat> basically all of the big six firms at the time, big four now, started their <clears throat> SALT practice and because it was such a it was a much higher profile state taxes. And if we fast forward 10 or 15 more years uh, to the 2000s, states now are kind of annoyed at the quill physical presence protections, trying to figure out a way around it quite successfully, I might add. Uh, they have, by this time, they have successfully limited the physical presence rule to just sales tax in many states, and uh, income tax is a bigger issue. Um, tax rates are even higher than they were in the past. Technology exists now to uh, really efficiently collect sales tax in all the different jurisdictions. So it's becoming more and more high profile and states are getting aggressive and they're trying to overturn Quill. So that's why I say Nexus equals Quill in the 1990s and Nexus approximates Quill in the 2000s. Notice that little tilde over there. Um, but now let's talk today. And I mean today because in the last three or four years, uh, this has all been boiling up where the states are actively trying to kill Quill. Uh, they're over the top in the laws that they're passing in defiance of Quill. Uh, more items are taxable. We've got digital products that are taxable that weren't taxable before. Uh, and then just last month, Quill gets overturned in the Wayfair case. And so, Dan, do you feel comfortable with saying Nexus is easy now because of Wayfair? Oh, I think it's uh, it's a it, it's fair to say that Nexus is certainly easier. Uh, uh, the the patch I'd say the the patchwork still makes it a little bit of a headache, but it's it's uh, very easy. It, it's very easy to be met now. Right, that's a good point. I, I didn't mean it as Nexus is easy to determine. It's just the threshold for what creates substantial Nexus seems to be very low. Oh, very much so. It's the limbo bar of Nexus at this point. It just keeps getting lower and lower. So things are uh, greatly upset in the world of state taxes, sales taxes in particular, uh, big changes. And so when there are big changes, not everyone loses out, right? There's always winners and losers. And I think it's just interesting. I, I saw this on LinkedIn, this report that, um, and I didn't dig into the, the support for it, but I'll, I'll just assume that it's correct. But this says in the last 15 years, as of 2015, so from 2000 to 2015, if you looked at the group of Fortune 500 companies, by the time 2015 rolled around, 52% of them we're no longer in the Fortune 500. Interesting, huh? And then this other factoid that says um, 
1955, if you looked at the list of Fortune 500 companies, their average life expectancy was 75 years. Whereas in 2015, average life expectancy of a Fortune 500 company, 15 years. Wow. So, interesting, right? Yeah. I didn't realize it was uh, it shrunk that much. Yeah. So there's, there's always potential when we have upheavals like we're having right now, uh, there is winners and losers. So obviously we want our clients, our listeners to be on the winner side. So I thought I'd just share real quickly a couple of different case studies of clients that we worked on uh, in their situation so you don't fall into these same traps. In this case, we have this manufacturer um, that all, all they sell is they manufacture and sell uh, pipes and valves, etc. And their plant is just in one state. That's the only place they have physical presence. It's the longtime client of a CPA firm. And then they put themselves up for sale. And so it's a father-son business and, and they want to retire and play golf, right? And everything looks great. It's been a great client over the years. Uh, really got their business buttoned down tight. So the due diligence, of the, they, they locate a buyer. The buyer comes in and reviews their books. And everything's looking good until they do a, a review of, of their sales tax situation. And they've only, uh, you know, everything they uh, sell in other states, they, they don't have any physical presence, so they're not registered anywhere. And they're not collecting tax anywhere. Turns out, though, in the due diligence process, um, this firm uh, undercovers $10 million in exposure. And that basically is the whole profit on the deal. So it turns out that they had um, independent sales reps. And nobody knew, including their CPA, that independent sales reps, even one, in another state creates nexus and they should have been collecting sales tax or the appropriate certificates and they didn't. And so bad, bad news for everybody. Let me um, talk about this software company as well. And so back to this um, pipe company, you know, under Quill before uh, this Wayfair case, you had to have physical presence to have nexus. And, and even then, uh, one independent sales rep is enough. Well, just imagine what this manufacturer is facing now under Wayfair. Of course, we're going to cover that, uh, exactly what changed. So uh, undetected nexus almost killed this deal. We helped them escape big liabilities in certain states, but not in others. Um, now we have this software company, and they're the manufacturer. That's another manufacturer, seller of an e-com seller of specialized software. But to um, sell it, they had to travel to the location of the customer to install it, do some training. And you know that type of activity under the old rules was enough to create Nexus because it was a physical presence standard. Under the new, so in this case, they, they, they never collected tax. They just didn't think about what the travel was doing to them. Under the new rules, it would even be worse but in this case, they had to go back seven years, and uh, it was a $300,000 liability. And once again, it's another situation where the CPA didn't even know that they had these problems in 
uh, other states. So what's the common thread of these stories is that nobody considered the nexus uh, rules and how they applied to these businesses. And if you're an uh, e-commerce business uh, or an advisor to an e-commerce business, your situation is even more tenuous than these that have physical presence. Physical presence still creates nexus. Uh, let me share with you about the company called MyPillow. I'm sure if you watch late night TV, you've probably seen some of their advertisements or you've seen their pillows for sale. And um, so it's a Minnesota company and they, uh, they were selling, they had customers in New York, but their interpretation of the tax nexus rules were that they didn't have to collect sales tax in New York. Well, New York's one of those super aggressive states. You know, New York's the one that basically took Amazon down by saying, just by virtue of having uh, click-through affiliates in our state, that's enough that you have nexus. And so uh, New York also has a whistleblower statute, and they pay a 30% bounty fee. And so somebody turned in my pillow, and uh, I, got, I got a picture of the guy that turned him in. Dan, do you recognize Walt Whistleblower? Uh, it does look familiar, yes. Yeah, this picture comes up every once in a while in various presentations. But anyway, so Walt Whistleblower, operating out of his mother's basement, just turns in my pillow. And the state of New York says, hey, you should have been collecting sales tax. And, the end of the, and, and New York said, you should have paid in $537,000 in tax, and you didn't. So therefore, we're assessing you probably $1.5 million, trouble damages. And they ended up settling, according to public records, because it's not a client of ours, one, on $1.1 million. So twice the amount of tax that they didn't collect, they had to pay out. And Walt Whistleblower got something over $200,000 in, in bounty fees as a result. So, um, again, that's under the old rules where you had to have some physical presence. Now, under the new rules where no physical presence is needed, it's even worse. And let me accentuate the negative a little bit more even because in New York, which is the case in many states, by the way, um, the liability for unpaid sales tax doesn't, it's not just a corporate liability. It can be a personal liability of the officers of the company. So that just puts a little sharper point on it, doesn't it, Dan? I mean, if you're the tax manager for a company, the last thing you want is the CEO uh, IMing you and saying, hey, why am I getting a tax notice? And they will go after the, the officers. They, uh, if, if somebody's filling out the, the tax registration, they always ask the officer's address. And a lot of times they have no qualms. If, they, if they're not getting a response from you, they'll mail stuff right out to the, the officers. And it's, uh, it, it's bad enough when the officer finds it. It's, bad. it's even worse when the officer's spouse finds that letter and, and, gets, and starts chewing them out about it. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's just something you want to get ahead of. The, the other reason why you, you want to be conservative when it comes to um, sales tax collection determinations, Nexus, because you could suffer the biggest tragedy in sales tax, the thing that gets you fired, gets you fired if you're a tax advisor, gets you sued maybe. 
the situation where you didn't know about the nexus rules or you did, and for whatever reason, you were making sales in another state and you decided not to collect tax because you didn't have nexus. And then the state comes in years later, three to five to seven, 10 years later, and audits you or your, your client and says, hey, you obviously had nexus and you should have been collecting sales tax, but you didn't. So we'll just assess it to you. And so you end up having to pay tax plus penalty and interest. And the tragedy is that had you just known these things, had your CPA advised you and, and you knew fully the situation, you probably would have just started collecting sales tax from your customers and they would have willingly paid it at the time of the transaction. But 10 years later, uh, you know, $500,000 later, uh, you can't go back to your customers and the state gets it out of you. So that's the tragedy. Andy, yeah, go ahead, Dan. I was gonna. I was just gonna add one one more thing for our e-commerce sellers on the the greatest tragedy in sales tax. There, uh, one of the things that I hear a lot from e-commerce sellers is there always there's always a big concern about losing the buy box and uh, getting undercut by the guy that doesn't charge sales tax. And uh, well, and and in, in these conversations. Uh, that, that very much may have been a thing a few years ago or even a couple of years ago. Uh, nowadays, the states are much more active. Uh, there's a few states that have been very, very effective at finding and assessing e-commerce sellers. So there's more and more e-commerce sellers that are charging tax. And in the wake of, of the Wayfair case, uh, two of the, the biggest sellers there uh, in the, the Texas letter I mentioned earlier, it talked about how Wayfair is already registered with Texas and Overstock has announced that they're going to get registered pretty much everywhere. So the the days of a lot of online shops that are, are not charging sales tax and, and offering a, a competitive advantage in doing so may be coming to the uh, coming to an end just because of, of the, the state's forcing compliance, uh, the, with the Wayfair case, it's certainly in the news. And to a degree, just customers are getting more used to paying sales tax. So they, yeah. they're still shopping online because of the other benefits. Uh, but the, 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 that 8% savings or roughly is, uh, it just may not be driving that activity. And certainly, uh, even if you can keep it as an advantage in the face of, of that $500,000 uh, tax penalty and interest, uh, it, in in many cases, it's going to come up as, as not being worth it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Uh, I know that's a concern, but on the flip side, the potential exposure is usually dwarfs the the other side. When we're talking to businesses, just general businesses, we usually say your exposure is going to fall in one of these five hotspots: nexus, tax rates, taxability, use tax, or exempt certificates. For e-commerce businesses, I really think that uh, it's it's just deciding where you have Nexus and coming to grips with the new Nexus rules. Nexus basically means where you need to get registered and start collecting sales tax. And it's based on a, a Supreme Court um, precedent, Supreme Court coinage that said uh, – you have to have some link or tie to a state before they can force you to collect their tax. And these have been cases that have gone to court. And so we've been talking about this Quill case, Quill that said, 
before a state can make you collect their tax, you at least have to have some physical presence. And states hated that. And um, so they, they've been working on their on trying to kill Quill really since 1992, but especially in the last five or six years. And they, um, they finally got a case to the Supreme Court, uh, and that's the one we've been talking about, this Wayfair case. And it's kind of a shocker to those of us who really watch this and have for the last 25, 30 years that another case would make it to the Supreme Court because it didn't seem like it would. And then to see it overturned is really revolutionary. And so it was a close decision. Uh, you know, one justice majority won it. However, all nine judges agreed that physical presence shouldn't protect you from nexus. And so that's, that's the big deal. And uh, Dan, I know you're a Star Wars fan and we, uh, you know, we quote Yoda a lot, but did you know that Yoda said Quill is dead and you must unlearn what you have learned? No, no, that I did not. <laughs> Clever, Dan. Clever. That, that's pretty good. So he didn't, he said nothing about Quill, but he did say you must unlearn what you have learned. How about the matrix? Did you know Nexus came up in the movie, the matrix? So physical presence does create Nexus, but it's not the only way you can have Nexus anymore. Right. Yeah. I think that one was lost amongst all the other messages from the Wachowski brothers. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the rule that you have to have Nexus <clears throat> or substantial Nexus is still in play. They didn't overturn that. They didn't abolish the whole concept of nexus. Uh, it's still there. And but but what they said is, even if you, as long as you have customers in another state, it could be argued that you have nexus. In other words, you make one sale into a state, and this came up in the oral arguments. That could be enough for uh, a state to say they, that you have nexus there. Now the, the decision they were, the law they were looking at was the South Dakota law that said, if you make over, if you conduct uh, 200 trans sales transactions in our state in a given 12 month period, that's enough to have nexus or a hundred thousand in sales. That's deemed to be substantial nexus. So uh, yes, Quill is dead, but long live Nexus. Still about Nexus. And we're talking to e-commerce businesses today, but really this applies to any industry. Um, maybe especially to e-commerce businesses because they're likely to have customers all over the place. And so for you and your advisors, the question used to be, where do I have a physical presence? And so we, we would talk about F, Amazon FBA sellers. And because of their inventory, they have physical presence all over the place. So they have Nexus. Well, Dan, do FBA sellers still have Nexus all over the place because of their inventory? Certainly. Uh, one thing that we, we try to, to emphasize again and again is that we don't want the message of physical presence to get lost in the economic Nexus. You can be below the state's threshold and not have economic nexus, 
But you, if you have that physical presence, if you've got that inventory, if you've got a solicitor in the state, you still have nexus. It, it really is an either or. If they can get you on one of these, nexus is nexus. And once, they, once they've got you, you better believe you're going to be collecting some tax. Agreed. So we don't want the, any e-commerce business or their tax advisor to wrongly conclude <clears throat> that I guess we don't care about physical presence anymore. The, exactly. the law at, in play on this Wayfair case was the South Dakota law and it was deemed to be acceptable. And again, it was a 200 transactions, but not every state has a law like this. So we let off this discussion with Texas and Texas doesn't have an economic presence law already in place, but there are 19 or so states that do. So if you're an Amazon FBA seller, for example, uh, you have Nexus wherever you have inventory, which is 26 states. Well, not all of those states have economic presence laws like South Dakota's, but there's seven or eight states beyond those 26 where you have inventory that do. And so you may actually need to file in up to 34, 35 states, depending on your sales volumes, right? Correct. So the question is, what is the next step that e-commerce businesses should do in the wake of Wayfair? Dan, what would you say? What's, what's the very next thing that we should be doing if we're an e-commerce business or a tax advisor to them? I, I think for our, our e-commerce uh, businesses out there, the next thing to do is just to really uh, get, get a finger on the pulse of your business. Where are your transactions taking place? Where are your, where are your sales going to? Because uh, as we've told people, even when physical presence is a test, you may have one piece of inventory and, and five sales into a state. But if you're, if the, the cost of compliance exceeds the cost of, of, uh, your potential liability for, for registering and, and paying the sales tax, uh, then, then you, it may not be in your, your interest to do so. So just as the same as yesterday or the same as, as I should say, June, uh, June 20th, you, you really want to get an idea of, of where your business is, where the sales are and see if, and start looking in those states and seeing, uh, are, the, are they yet implementing that economic nexus and do you need to get registered there? And if not, um, we fully anticipate with the possible exception of West Virginia right now after their little declaration last week that all the states are, are more or less gonna get to an economic nexus threshold eventually. And uh, so eventually, uh, everybody's going to have some more or less a greater uh, tax filing responsibility. Well said, Dan. Fact is we really are living in a different era now because Quill is dead and Nexus is easy to catch, easy to get. <clears throat> so I told you at the beginning that we would be talking about the solution and the solution is, really that you need somebody. You need a tax guy. You need a tax gal. You need someone who can help you figure all this out. Someone who, you know, so if you're advertising for, you know, in monster.com or something for, this is the type of 
items you're looking for on someone's resume, that they really do know nexus and taxability of products because not everything is taxable. Uh, they have uh, verifiable experience, years of experience fighting sales tax audits because uh, audits are already um, exploding. And you can expect over the next several years that it will really take off. So you need someone with um, proven expertise in that area so you don't overpay and uh, you don't undercollect, right? And now, um, unfortunately, because of this change in the law, uh, I think that many more businesses will be filing returns in many more places, sales tax returns. And so you need someone who has years of experience uh, preparing and filing those returns um, or that can show you how to do it on your own, show you the various uh, platforms that are out there so that your returns can be filed timely, accurately, uh, not generating sales tax audits. And as you can see, things are constantly changing. So you need someone that has that um, mindset of, not only do you know all these things and more, but you're constantly staying on top of it. So they know all about exemption certificates and use tax systems and how to get the tax rate right, depending on where you're selling it. And they're constantly retrained. So, and when I describe it that way, is there anybody that comes to mind that has all of those qualifications? Well, I can think of a few people, but off the top of my head, Peisner Johnson. Yep. We certainly know Nexus and taxability. Certainly know that. We have experienced probably fighting thousands of sales tax audits. Um, we've been doing sales tax returns compliance for, I don't know, seven, ten years. Uh, hundreds of clients. And as you can see, we are staying on top of all these changes, change is constant. It's one thing that I hear from, uh, from our clients all the time and from other CPAs. It's, it's one of their biggest frustrations is how do we stay on top of the constantly changing world? And it's by attending podcasts like this and, and uh, working with people like us. We're not the only people that can ever do this type of work, but uh, we would love to help any e-commerce business First, figure out their situation. Uh, see if they really do need to register. It's not a call to get registered everywhere automatically, uh, but judiciously. Uh, so we can help you with that, help you make the wisest choice, and take you really all the way through to filing your returns, or at least show you how to do it on your own. So, Dan, uh, that unless you have some other concluding comments you'd like to throw in, no, I think that pretty well does it. All right. So I'd like to thank everybody for attending our Ecom Sales Tax podcast and hope that this has been helpful for you as you try to evaluate what to do in the wake of this Wayfair decision. So with that, thank you, Dan, and thank you to everyone. And see you next week.